It's time for your nooner with Dooner, and you look great, buddy, and Leatherface. Oh, yeah? You have any uh, weary travelers by for dinner, Leatherface? Rachel Premax in the green room. She doesn't even know what to make of this right now. We're getting ready for Halloween season over here. Thank you to Armstrong Transport KC, Carrie Danucci, the team over there. Thank you so much that I saw this really cool thing at a, uh, here's a little supply chain thing for you. We were in a Spirit Halloween that was in a former bed, bath, and beyond. Had been converted, they had Leatherface there. Pointed out, Carrie sent this, this is awesome. Love on the show too. As you can see, he gets a little excited. I gotta figure out the sensor on him so I don't just keep driving him crazy. I've mentioned my kids in Little League a million times. Last night, super, super proud dad moment. Baseball is everything. Baseball is life. You want to set your kids up for what's going to happen out there. I mean, you're talking about a sport where you're only, even the best hitters only hit three out of ten. They hit 300 or under. He was getting a little discouraged. Six years old. It's his first season. You could see it in his body language. Well, last night he had his first hit, his first run, and his first game ball from his team. Life comes at you kid, at, at you fast, kid. Daddy loves you. Thank you. you awesome, dude. Did great. Uh, a little order of business. A lot of my mind today, if I feel a little distracted, I got to uh, head down to South Carolina. There won't be a show on Friday. My dad's going under the knife for some surgery, so I got to drive down to South Carolina to help take care of them. But tomorrow, there's a great event. It's the Net Zero Carbon Summit. There will be a What the Truck from that. You can register at live.freightwaves.com. You can win a cool, like, Yukon stove pot thing yeah you can make your s'mores over there we have a great session on co2 emissions ev charging and sustainable real estate there's also some great keynotes from a few folks at microsoft you got kim Masone and nico de so go to live.freightwaves.com go register that but on today's show i'm talking to andrew polikov he's the executive director at the commercial vehicle training association cvta is the largest organization of privately owned truck driving schools in the nation we'll find out what issues trucking schools face and how they're solving them, uh, especially that E, what is it, E-L-D-T, E-D-L-T? Uh, we'll find out from him. He's the expert. Freightways, Rachel Premack, she's going to be on. We're driving into two critical topics. <laughs> Leatherface is going again. We're going into two critical topics. We'll find out what solutions are being presented for truck parking and uh, why unions, unions are going on strike. And Freightways, Super Trucker will be here. We're going to look at a weak truckload market, out of control self-driving cars, and a bunch of other stuff. So let's tip the band, and we'll get right to it. Thank you. No ride, no app, no problem. With Uber for business, you can help your drivers get where they need to go after dropping off the tractor. Schedule rides, control costs, and access 24-7 support in their easy-to-use dashboard at uberforbusiness.com. Cut through that driver retention issues, right? Get them where they need to go. He's intimidating. This guy's like over six feet standing over my, my shoulder. Let's talk to Rachel Premack, editorial director over at Frey. Oh, he's going again. <laughs> So, so is this is this a Halloween thing? Is this a permanent co-host? I mean, not sorry, not this. He. Well, we'll have to see. You know, he keeps going on and on. So this is not going to keep him like long for this world up here. I'm not going to. You know, he can't take the yeah. shine off me this much, Leatherface. But we're trying him out. He does have an off switch. I might have to. Uh, I might have to tackle that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Maybe more of like a contract, like a 
part-time type deal, but not a, yeah, Leatherface is not getting on like the 401k and the uh, the full-time payroll at Freight Waves. It's yeah, no, sorry, no benefits. No benefits for you, <laughs> Leatherface. No one, won't, no one benefits are being taken away from drivers. The luxury of wearing Crocs. First of all, I asked my heavily trucking and supply chain audience if they even wear Crocs. And just like a good batting average, 286, 28.6 said yes. So like, you know, one out, three out of every 10 drivers or three out of every 10 people out there is throwing a pair of Crocs on, Rachel. Okay, so I feel like this question, do you own Crocs versus do you wear Crocs? I mean... On, on one hand, I wouldn't say I wear Crocs. I voted yes on this. Yeah. But I don't like wear Crocs. <laughs> I love how Leatherface's <laughs> really prominently featured. I don't like wear Crocs out and about like that often. So I don't know. Maybe that could, it could be a wording thing. If you had said, do you own Crocs? Maybe that would have been, that would have raised the batting average a little. Well, I mean, I tried to make it like as, as easy and as vague as possible for people. These polls can get yeah. highly controversial, but like it's even worse because it doesn't matter what you voted. Some docs out there, look at this tweet. It says, excuse me, real truckers don't wear flip-flops, Crocs, slines, or sandals. This is under assault. The driver community, a lot of them say they love wearing their Crocs. So my take on this, which I've already, I think I've already delivered on what the truck is that I think Crocs would be okay to drive in because I think Christian's got Crocs, Freight Waves TV powered by Crocs. Yeah, yeah, come on. I mean, wait, do I have my, oh, wait, 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 wait a sec. Hold on. Oh, there's hers. Wait, show Christian. Christian's got his, this Croc Nation over here. I just shut down uh, Leatherface too. He's taking a nice, for that one. nice. Everyone's, everyone's on board. Um, so the issue with, um, I think we, the issue with flip driving. We need freightways gibbets. He doesn't. He, but here's the thing: know. he has zero gibbets. Some drivers, you'd have zero too. Some drivers even like to do him up. Look at this driver here. He said he's even got gibbets and everything. He can't believe that they won't let him on the dock. He's got a couple of Pokemon on there. Looks good. I think Crocs could be. Fine-ish for I mean maybe I don't I don't know about like industrial workplace use but I mean your toes are covered it's a pretty solid thick platform you've got you know a back heel type situation definitely better than flip flops I'm not a flip flop fan either I, even even for the beach I don't know Crocs are better for the beach I think we can just get rid of flip flops entirely Rachel, no we gotta. We got to wheel out one of our dead horses. We talk about parking so much. It seems like nothing is happening on there. You put out another article bringing attention to this. And in the meantime, too, there's been some drivers who say that, like, the, the parking shortage is a myth. There's a lot going on. The, the basis here is another American Trucking Association sort of study. They're the lobbyist group for the big carriers, and they say that truck drivers spend 56 minutes a day looking for parking, and there's just one spot for every 11 drivers. Let's break it down, Rachel. So the one spot for every 11 drivers, some of the folks I spoke to kind of questioned this number a little bit because, you know, every truck driver, you could be a local driver. You could be, you know, you could be driving a day cab. That's, I mean, I, that's the same thing said twice, but like, do they distinguish between overnight drivers and local drivers is my question when they say there's one spot for every 11 drivers. Uh, the other question is, how, how willing will truck drivers be to pay for some of these more, I guess, premium lots where there are, you know, I mean, it shouldn't be a premium to have a bathroom and a shower and food. But, you know, that is un, that's not that's not, you know, typically a guaranteed for most truck parking, unfortunately. So I guess the question is, 
A, how many drivers do truly struggle with parking? It does seem to be somewhat of an industry-wide issue, uh, especially for newer drivers who might not be familiar about where to park or they're driving in new territories. Um, And B, where should this funding come from? Should it come from private industry? Should it come from the federal government? Should shippers be paying for it? Should carriers up their rates and, uh, you know, pay drivers for for their parking spots um doesn't really seem like there is a clear question as per usual in the trucking world well you know we got a video last night from super hustle he was over at a truck parking lot and this was his experience all right now what a lot of guys complain about these parking lots this is what they complain about because this is a ta is supposed to be really big and it's not really big like we are squeezed in here. Sardines. And guys are paying for these spots. And it's like you gotta you gotta you gotta fumble around and pray you get someplace. And a lot of us have already paid. So it's just they gotta do better with the size of these lots. So it is yeah, that's the drivers. Other, even if you well, I was going to yeah, say, it's not sorry, just drivers ahead. trying to not like park on the side of the road because they're not trying to pay for parking. Even they do pay for parking. Drivers are sometimes put mm-hmm. in circumstances like like this where the parking lot is completely inadequate for whatever they need. Yeah, I mean, even if you are personally, you know, the ex- a very experienced truck driver, you could be squeezed into a lot like this where you might be parked next to someone who's maybe not so experienced and then they damage your equipment. So it's just it's. It's kind of a lose lose situation, essentially. Like even if you do the right do the right thing and pay for the parking and all those sorts of things, um, you could still get screwed over in some way because you someone who is new to driving, you know, bumps into your to your tractor or trailer in some way, and then now you've got uh, equipment charges on top. Now you have you have repair costs on top of you know whatever else you might be dealing with. Is this something in your talks with people that you think the government needs to get involved in? We recently had the big Greyhound bus crash that brought a lot of attention mm-hmm. to the parking issue. That was some drivers parked on the side of the road. A Greyhound bus hit them. And there's obviously the one that led to Jason's law as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because um, Thomas Watson actually brought up an interesting point on this earlier today on Freight Waves TV, which is that if you know a lot of these parking woes sharpened following the passage and enforcement of the electronic logging device mandate. So what Thomas brought up was if the government is going to enforce when I can drive, because typically, you know, prior to ELDs, perhaps drivers would do a little bit of driving, take a nap, do a little bit more driving. Thomas argued if the top, if the government is going to enforce when I can do my job, then the government should be more helpful in telling me where I can park and sleep at night. So I thought that was an interesting viewpoint and one that I had not heard from other folks I had interviewed. Um, honestly, I could definitely see the argument for the government stepping up in some way, but I think you know the larger responsibility should be borne by shippers and carriers rather than individual drivers having to pay for their spots. Well, speaking of parking, or at least rest stops, Love's Travel Stop earned the number one spot in the first ever Better Work Awards presented by Indeed. Are you surprised? Hmm. No, I could, I could, who knows? I mean, could be good, could be bad. I don't know. I, I don't know what the day-to-day work-life uh, situation is there. I wonder if that's managers, you know, folks in the corporate office or more folks on the ground. Um, 
depending on what their pay and benefit and promotion style is, I could definitely see that, especially if it's one of those things where, you know, you could enter as a store employee, work your way up to store manager, maybe, you know, get moved to some sort of corporate role. I think that could be something I don't, I don't know if they offer such, (laughs) such, such a process or, or career path, but I well, you know, you know who didn't win a Better Work Award? It was the uh, the big three that the UAW <laughs> is striking against right now. Uh, one of uh, many, at least, threatened strikes. Some strikes did have no. There was yellow that just went bankrupt. They didn't they didn't strike at all. You had UPS that almost strike. There was uh, a lot of talk from that same union. Then you have the UAW, which also has a very outspoken leader. For example, he just tweeted this yesterday. He said, "I just wanted to give a quick bargaining update," and he used this uh, little clip from changing lanes where Samuel Jackson is like TikTok MF or so both union representatives have been using some pretty strong words yeah the other Sean O'Brien he used the epitaph right he used the yellow logo on a gravestone mm-hmm. I think this is a, uh, an effective communication style I mean we've we saw you know during the last presidential tenure that obviously having an outspoken and uh you know more more uh what's the word i'm looking for just just a a more colloquial and casual style of communication some humor some memes you know i've i've noticed there's this one account called what the truck that you know also is funny online and this is just something i think i think generally like the best way to connect with people isn't by being super formal and super stodgy but actually showing some personality and showing some humor um so it's probably very effective and smart for these union leaders to get a little bit edgy online. I mean, we're talking about their posts, which is, which is, which is certainly an improvement from not talking about their posts from, from the perspective of the union, I imagine. Well, um, people are more aware of, of the fact that they're, they're trying to fight this battle. Well, I think, and one of the reasons we are is usually like we're used to in the past, you would have these press releases with these very sort of sanitized, controlled yeah. responses. But like online with these new leaders and especially the way they interact with the community, for example, Tesla Insights wrote, it's all fun and games until your member employees, until your members, employers sack your members or go broke and you have no one left to keep your show running. And he said, thanks. I never thought of that. Poor employers, a quarter of a trillion dollars in profit over the last decade as worker wages went backwards. Time to stand up. Big words out of them. Another guy, Benny Bullock, he said, when they announced they are moving to a brand new facility in another state with the money you're asking for, what will your tweet be then? And he said, not sure where you've been living. That's been going on as our members' conditions and wages have went backwards over the last 20 years. It comes down to two words, corporate greed, time for the working class to stand up. Yeah, I mean, that's been one sort of argument you've seen online is like, oh, well, all these factories might move to the South. And it's like, well, that's already been happening over the past, over the past few decades that more of these automotive factories are moving from the heavily unionized uh, areas in Michigan and Ohio and Indiana down to Tennessee, for example. Um, This is not a new trend, uh, but there's a reason why the big three does choose to locate, you know, certain, 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 uh, you know, particularly high tech or high skilled um, automotive plants in the uh, in the industrial Midwest. As you hit, disclaimer, I am from the Detroit area. 
<laughs> sure. Well, people who have been following this, they understand this wasn't the entire UAW going on strike. It was actually a couple strategic moves against three different facilities. And they didn't pull their hardest levers yet. They didn't pull like Tonawanda, for example, uh, which they absolutely could. It seems like with the rhetoric that's going on and because there hasn't been much movement between the 36 percent that they want and the 20 percent that the big three are offering, that we're likely to see more action happen on Friday. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. It's something that more plants could and likely will shut down. Um, and and I think it's just important to know that this is a really historic strike. We've never seen a UAW strike against uh, all three, all of each of the big three. Um, so it's definitely interesting to watch. Um, I think folks who are kind of anticipating that UPS strike is are now closely watching this, definitely. You know, it's interesting, Dollar General, and it's been a trend that's been going on, but building out private fleets, and I'm going to talk about this with Justin a little bit later, latest added 200 more trucks to their own fleet. They're up from 1,800 to 2,000. It's worth noting they're not a union carrier, um, but they also say they can save more than 20% by kicking out a third party from their uh, from their network. You know what's funny? I was going to write about this exact issue in mid or late June, and then the yellow stuff started happening, and I never wrote about it, so maybe I'll write about it now. But it's a, it's definitely an interesting time to be expanding your private fleet because freight costs are pretty cheap right now if you're a shipper. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in the timing and the strategy behind that for sure. Yeah, well, they say that they've they've done the math. They can save pretty easily just running out of their own network. They have a lot of rural locations. They just have a lot of locations yeah. all over the place. So maybe they've built that network. I mean, eighteen hundred is a lot of tractors, and yet you add more. I'm not. I don't know their exact trailer number, but they got quite a bit of flow they can put through that network. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, maybe I'll write a story again. <laughs> I'll return to that. <laughs> now, Rachel, you are planning a wedding. You've been giving out some some wedding advice to the freight community. One of them was to make sure you put your RSVP out two months in advance. But the other one comes down to honeymoons and travel. Look at what happened on this flight in Boston. And I want to get your opinion. Dollars? You could go shopping via gift card. What did I hear? I can. It has to be one passenger. Who wants to take one for the team? $3,000. This is a Boston to Rome flight. $3,500. It's overbooked by 13 passengers. Somebody take one for the team. And they're offering you to get off the Boston to Rome flight, $2,000, $4,000 plus a hotel room. Okay, I've got some takes. Would you do it, Rachel? I, I personally, I would never do this because, like, I've been overseas on trips. I don't get out to Rome often for, like, my wife now, probably, yeah. like, once-in-a-lifetime trip. And when you go, you have to plan a lot of stuff. Like, I've got hotels and travels arranged. A lot of, like, the touristy stuff you want to do, you can only go at certain times. So I would say no. Like, in this day and age, you, we're, you're, we're talking, like, 10000 and up. No, I when you when you sent me this earlier today, I was thinking I was formulating my um, debate and it's the same as yours. I mean, if I'm planning a trip to Europe, this has been months, maybe a year in the making of, you know, arranging time off and like getting my itinerary down and all these sorts of things. The other thing that's notable, I didn't realize this in the video, uh, the flight attendant knows they're only looking for one passenger. I mean, if I were like, you know, a young backpacker or whatever going solo, sure, I would take it. But, you know, I'm probably at this point going with, you know, my 
soon to be husband or maybe some friends or, you know, eventually like a lot, my larger family. Um, so why would I stay behind? <laughs> like, like I, it's, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense, especially for that $500 starting bid. I'm not going to disrupt my whole vacation for what probably amounts to maybe one night in a hotel. I mean, do better. <laughs> Rachel, then they, wonder why, then they wonder why men are always thinking about Rome. We got offers like that when we're on, <laughs> when we're on airplanes. Did you pick, do you have a honeymoon before I let you go? Did you pick a honeymoon destination yet? Are you going on one? Yeah, Doing we're anything? going to Hawaii. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, cool. So that should be cleaned up by then and yeah. everything too. Yeah, yeah. It should be good. Okay. Rachel, thank you for joining us. R-R-P-R-E on uh, Twitter, X, whatever you call it these days. Find her out there and Google Rachel Premack Freightways for all of her great articles. All right. Bye. Take care. All right. Meanwhile, let's take a look inside of Gantry Crane. All right. So some of you wanted to see what it actually looks like in the office without going through it too quick. So here you go. Heater, air conditioner right there. You know, a lot of these bells and whistles you see here, we don't even touch. They all do something, but most of these things we don't touch. There's light switches here, crane refault things, but most of it we don't touch. Everything mostly I'm gonna do is right here. Flippers, lock and unlock buttons right here. These are the uh, little tiny thumbsticks I was telling you about, so it's kind of nice you know my hands just sit like this and this is how I drive and then I touch those buttons like that so this is uh, basically the seat right here all adjustable higher lower these can adjust it's really nice these newer cranes with these new seats it's a lot of adjusting right here which really helps with your back and just comfortability to be able to drive the way you want to drive now, a lot of you guys are asking about the glass. This is glass right here. Nothing can drop out of this. This is a thick piece of glass. Yes, I can stand on it. I'm not going to because it's just sketchy to me. Why do something stupid that you don't need to do? But you can stand on this glass without it breaking. And this glass is great because it's heated. A lot of the times when you come in when it's cold, and you go to turn your heater on, unless you know to open your door and leave all your windows open to get all the moisture out of the air, your windows will fog up. Your glass will just completely fog up and you can't see. You gotta wipe everything. You gotta wait for it to all disappear. So they keep the glass on these new ones heated. It's, it's excellent. But basically this is what it looks like inside the cab for tonight. I don't know. It looks high up. I don't blame him for not standing on that glass. It reminds me of that um, that scene in Squid Game when they have to walk across the glass. Let's meet a new guest. It's Andrew Polakoff. He's executive director at the Commercial Vehicle Trading Association. Andrew, how are you with heights? Would you go up in that gantry crane? Why not? It looks cool, doesn't it? That's right. That's right. Hey, thank you so much for having uh, me on today. I really appreciate it. I uh, Full disclosure, I love your show. And uh, was I binged like uh, four episodes this week while I was traveling. Uh, I loved uh, one of the recent ones. Props to you on the Rocky Four tie-in from your oh, yeah. story about traveling to Wyoming. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I, I would love to go to the, that location at some point. Oh, uh, it's beautiful. I, hi- I highly recommend it. It wasn't on my, my radar until I got invited out there. But yeah, now I would recommend it to nearly anybody. Well, Andrew, let's meet you. People who aren't familiar. What does the CVTA do? Where are you guys out of? And uh, what's up with your team? 
Absolutely. So we're out of Alexandria, Virginia, but just to put it simply, CVTA is the largest association of truck driver training programs in the United States. So we have 95 member schools with around 400 locations in 46 states. So really huge footprint. And really, it was the organization began in 1996. And for about the last 30 years, they've been focused on making sure that they can you know, really clean up the training uh, industry and make sure that there aren't these CDL mills and some of the folks that really give uh, the training space a, a, a you know sort of a black eye and a, a poor appearance uh, and and really been involved in that for some time and you know that's taken shape in a in a, uh, a number of different ways not the least of which being new uh, minimum standards that are required by federal law now all across the states so it's really just a great community of people who care about safe training and have really worked hard to. Uh, make some some real changes and headway in, in in terms of the way the training's provided all across the country. Yeah, you have to address some some big problems. So, you know, especially you mentioned it there with the CDL mills. Has, has that problem like gotten out of control? How do you contain something like that? And how do you identify those types of schools that need to be taken out? Great question. So the benefit of having that sort of a national footprint is that our uh, the member schools uh, that belong to this association have a very very high visibility of what's going on in their state. And they're aware of folks who are saying, you know, pay us a thousand bucks and we'll, you know, loan you a truck for 24 hours, 48 hours, show you around. And, uh, you know, and then we'll, you know, sort of spin you out and, and hope for the best, which is really, you know, sort of consumer uh, protection element to begin with. But one of the other things that we did was, so our members have a lot of that information and communicate that to us. And what we did at the association is make sure that we reached out to all of these states that do the licensing uh, and and regulate these schools. And so when we started speaking to those states, they were saying, yeah, we have tons of these bad actors uh, in the midst. And, you know, we don't know what to do because it's sort of to back up in February of 2022, the FMCSA came out finally and, and was enforcing uh, this entry level driver training ELDT rule. And part of that is that states need to, uh, you know, be able to to let the federal government know when there are so-called schools or training providers out there that are really, uh, really just sort of CDL mills. And so when we started speaking to those states, they said, yes, help us, please. We need to get this information to the FMCSA. You know, essentially, we're, we're calling the FMCSA. We're trying to contact them. And, you know, they're not, uh, they're not picking up because all of this now is part of this database called the TPR, the Training Provider Registry. You know, we're all familiar with the Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse. This is the FMCSA's version of that for the training. It's called the TPR. And so one of the key things is being able to find out who's out there that's doing this poor training uh, and communicate that to the federal government. And that's one of the things that we've been really focused on. And frankly, to their great credit, the FMCSA, uh, Administrator Hutchison, all the folks at the Office of Safety Programs have been doing a spectacular job over the last three to six months in really coming out with some better enforcement. Um, with, with all these changes, what goes into entry-level driver training now? It seems like the schools have a lot more to think about and a lot they're responsible for quite a bit more. Yeah, so, you know, what's interesting is this all began, uh, at least you could say probably one of the earliest elements of it was in 2012 when, the, when Congress indicated that there needed to be minimum standards. And as part of that, some years later, the FMCSA did what's called a negotiated rulemaking and that's a pretty unique thing for the federal government to do. And when they did that, they got together all these stakeholders that really cared about uh, how this training was going to be done. And you saw folks you don't always see in the same room together. You know, you see OIDA, 
ATA, uh, CVTA, the Teamsters, safety advocates, insurance providers, all of these folks came together as part of this negotiated rulemaking to decide what should be in this training. And that's what's taken shape in the form of ELDT, which is now, I think there are about 30 elements within the curriculum, but it's divided into three major categories. So you have your theory, you have your behind the wheel range, and behind the wheel road. And it's just it, a lot of this is what CVTA schools, uh, publicly funded schools, what all these folks have been doing for decades, really. But it was just sort of codifying it into uh, you know a location and and making it um, making it law. And so now you have really skills that everyone needs to know when they're when they're an entry level driver. Uh, that's not the end of the game. They obviously need once they move to a carrier, they're going to be doing a finishing program, presumably as well. But really just making sure that there are basics out there. And the key here, and getting back to the training provider registry, is that this really eliminates, so long as it's enforced properly, these CDL mills, right? Because you can't do one or two days training because you, you'd have to indicate that on, your, uh, on everything you're submitting to the federal government. So it, it's really important that this whole mechanism exists. But, you know, when people say, oh, we have to do these new, this new training now, it's really the same as it's always been. It's just that we got a, a large groups of people together to agree on what it should be. Interesting. Interesting. So when we, when we look at that, like, so if you're a driver, you're thinking of coming into the industry or you're looking to, you're someone who's looking to hire new drivers, what should you be looking at? What training pathway should you be looking at? Well, I think the answer to that is just find someone who's teaching entry-level driver training and, and that you can trust. Um, that's getting easier thanks to a lot of the changes that the FMCSA is making regarding that training provider registry. Initially, there wasn't a lot of clarity at all on it. And for example, when folks aren't meeting that standard and they're not delivering that training properly, they're placed into sort of a removal status. Um, FMCSA had been doing that, but no one knew because there wasn't any clarity on the website as to who was in the removal process or who was being looked at. And now that's very evident. So what I would say to anyone who's uh, interested in taking this training and, and entering the wonderful world of uh, truck driving is that they should really be going to this TPR, the training provider registry, and make sure you find someone who is not <laughs> slated for removal. That's probably step one. Is is train should training be ongoing? Is this just something you just go in a driver training program? They give you your CDL, you're good to go. Or should training be something continuous? How do you think about workforce development? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So you know, obviously we have motor carriers that are members of CVTA as well, and it's quite apparent. And and I am fully aware that all of those folks really engage in this ongoing culture of safety. Um, for us at CVTA, we're really the schools here are mainly focused on training these entry-level drivers at the very beginning of their careers, but by no means is safety uh, something that's that's finished then. Actually, something that's been discussed uh, that we're trying to look more into is what would you know uh, continuing education look like in that space? I think there's plenty of room for it, frankly. You know, when we talk about testing, and I remember because you hear about this stuff more when there's issues. I mean, we're the offensive line of the economy, so you don't really hear about freight in terms of problem. But when there's this big run up in authorities, and we look at it in Sonar, we look at this massive influx of drivers that came in in 21 and 22, we'd hear a lot about CDL testing delays. Is that still a problem? Oh, let me tell you. I mean, uh, I could have a job for the rest of my life based on skills testing delays. It really is somewhat of an intractable problem. And CVTA has been working on this for years because it's such an impediment to getting people 
you know, you think about someone who's in training that they really care. They want to join this amazing career. They want to serve their country. And here they are in a space where they've done all the training and boom, you know, you have to wait four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is to take this training. It's just, uh, their skills degrade and then it just, it jams up the whole system. So what's been successful in, in many States is the, you know, the, the, the permissibility of third party testing, right? Um, you know, you don't, uh, it's, it's something that's very successful and permits these schools to have someone who did not train that individual provide a test to the person to make sure that they, um, have the appropriate uh, skills to get the CDL. Um, but even in States where that has been permitted, uh, and I think that, uh, all but about 10 states have some form of it. Even in states where that's permitted, we still see um, SDLAs and other entities that just make it very difficult. You know, oh, we have third-party testing, but you know, your application has been waiting two years to get approved. Or we have third-party testing that's done by outside contractors, and you wait weeks and weeks and weeks for a test. So that's one of the things that you know, we work on it as an organization as well, because it's, uh, it's an easy problem to fix. We've seen there are many states that all they have is third party testing and they do it quite well. And those are states that are just, uh, you know, off to the races. And the minute someone is finished with their training, they're tested, they move into a job uh, that they've presumably even been pre-hired for, and the system operates as it should. But it's something that we work on all the time. And, uh, uh, you know, it's a ne never ending source of challenge in, in this space. What about teenage truckers? That's a controversial one that comes up a lot. Some people for it, some people against it. Some people say never let an 18, 19 year cross state lines. And other people say, hey, they can serve the country. They can drive a truck. They could go across state lines. Well, what does CVTA think about that? Should we be lowering standards? Is, is age even a standard we should care about? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the interesting part about that is, you know, if if it was purely based on safety and not on the mechanics of the way that sort of the, the interstate uh, and intrastate laws reflect the reality, I think that it would already be permitted. Because if you imagine someone driving a thousand miles in California uh, or some long distance in a state, they're perfectly able to do that um, intrastate as, you know, an 18 to 20 year old. But once they cross state lines or once they cross state lines, they need to be 21, even if the distance that they've traveled is quite short. So it's, it doesn't seem to be based on anything other than really, uh, the rules that govern state and federal law. What do you think is the biggest issue that trucking schools are facing right now? I think the biggest issue that trucking schools are facing now is uh, how to make sure that entry-level driver training is enforced. This is something that folks care about so much in this industry. And it's something that people have been working on for decades, really. And so to finally see it come to fruition in 2022 has been enormous. Uh, and really, now it's about making sure that the partnership that CVTA and, and others have with the FMCSA enforcement, you know, sort of arms and, and the, the groups that do the enforcement is really uh, firing on all cylinders so that we can make sure that that enforcement and does, uh, you know, enforcement occurs properly. What do I do if I'm a trainee and I find myself in a program that seems like a scam? It's a, I'm getting abused. I see someone else getting abused in some way or another. What do I do then? Thank you. That is a great question. So, uh, you can go to the training provider registry, and there you will find a drop-down menu that gives you the ability to um, make a complaint uh, based on you know ELDT problems or or malfeasance or what have you. 
there's also also the National Consumer Complaint Database that FMCSA runs, and you could use that as well to submit a complaint. And I would absolutely encourage to anyone listening to this that feels that they are uh, part of a, a, a school or some sort of, uh, you know, dealing with someone who's who's not teaching you ELDT properly, please go to the TPR website that USDOT has and please uh, submit a complaint. Uh, you, you know, you really, you deserve better than that. And we want you to be a part of this great industry and we want you to be trained properly. Uh, and I think the FMCSA is the right place to, to reach out to. Thank you for that. And yeah, if you're in one of those situations, definitely let somebody know that's the only way you're going to get help and and get out of it. You know, I, you used to, do uh, you have some ties over to EV before you're familiar with the space? And uh, I believe about a couple months ago, you were down over at Schneider's Electric Charging Depot. How does tech fit into training, into the future, EVs, that kind of thing? Sure. Well, so one of the probably the most basic ways that we see technology being used today is with simulators in the training space. A lot of appetite for that, and those are something that are really useful. If you have just a, you know, you have, you only can have so many uh, uh, trucks out on the range, and so at times when students are not in the vehicle, it's a great place for them to be in the simulator. Uh, I was out at Schneider um, in Green Bay, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, uh, this is about a two weeks ago and was in one of those simulators. And it really is, it, it's a great way to get, you know, reinforced training that's already occurring in the vehicle. Okay. But then you ask about EVs and that, uh, the Schneider facility, I think that's a great use case. Um, you know, the, the idea that, uh, trucking is going to be, you know, instantly whisked away into the world of, you know, EVs is, is a, that's, that's a long-term uh, situation that I think a lot of people are thinking about. But it was very exciting and interesting to see that uh, South La Los Angeles facility, which is an intermodal facility uh, with uh, great trucks, you know, 100 uh, Freightliner E-Cascadias doing great work in that space. Uh, but it's a very particular use case, but a great one at that. In your experience, who should become a truck driver now? What should you be thinking about? What should your goals be? That's a great question. So I would say it's it's folks. I, I really enjoyed I was, as I was listening to the show, um, a recent one. I you were talking to the the great folks that you had on from Walmart, yeah. and I really liked what I think Ashley was her name. She was talking about sort of having confidence, uh, having a, a desire to serve, but also uh, you know really being willing to uh, you know be humble and and to learn and to listen. Uh, uh, you know, it's we're, we're I guess we're a little past National Truck Driver. Awareness Week, but shout out to my brother, Mike, who is my favorite truck driver. He just actually became a truck driver this year, uh, lives in Virginia, and it's been just a transformative uh, situation for him. Absolutely loves it. And, you know, it's people like my brother who really uh, can take hold of this career and uh, and make it their own. I'll, I'll give you one little sort of anecdote. I, was, I met up with my brother for lunch when he was um, doing one of his routes in Virginia, and we were, you know, leaving the, leaving the place where he was doing the delivery and, and we were in line and someone, you know, thanked him for his service. It was absolutely really a, a wonderful thing for me to be there and, and see that. I think that's something we all learned about during the pandemic, but this is something that people really want to do. It's, it's the American dream to, to drive across the, the country. It's not always moonlight and roses uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, I think it's, if you have that confidence if you have that humbleness and if you have that desire to serve, then it's a great career.
Andrew, a little cowbell for, for you, your nice message there. Your brother and the CVTA who's training our next generation of drivers. People who want to learn more about your organization, they want to, they want to help enforce and get these CDL mills out of there, where do I send them to? www.cvta.org. Uh, all the lists of our schools are there. Please uh, give us a shout. I would love to, to connect you with someone in your state that can provide great training. Um, and if you have questions or you're interested, I would go to the, the TPR website. Uh, that, that gives you the real basics about what schools are available to you, just sort of broadly speaking, from, uh, from the FMCSA's repository. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. Take care. You bet. Thank you. Take it easy. All right. No ride, no app, no problem with Uber Central on Uber for Business. You can help your drivers get where they need to go after dropping off the tractor. Schedule rides, control costs, and access 24-7 support in an easy-to-use dashboard. Learn more at uberforbusiness.com. Attention tank truck industry carriers, private fleets, and suppliers. Have you registered for this October's Tank Truck Week 2023? It's the largest tank truck event in North America for cutting edge innovation, powerhouse networking, keeping up with industry trends and insights, content and value for executive safety, HR, maintenance, tank wash, purchasing, and more. Help drive the tank truck industry forward October 8th through 11th this year in wonderful Indianapolis, Indiana. It's worth sending a representative. Register today at tanktruck.org tanktruck slash tanktruckweek. All right, elsewhere, let's see what's going on. Oh, more of these. Just like Captain Kate's last time, she had a steamship. This guy's got a train. Bentley. Train. to compete with the logistics Bentley. We've got all the cool, huge gear here. I like the sound. I like that little ding that train made. Hey, it's Super Trucker, Justin Martin. What's happening? I love the people. I love the people riffing on that Bentley video. I've actually had drivers that aren't too savvy with video editing send me footage of their truck, saying, "Hey, can you like stitch this together for me?" I just don't have the time. I will get to it, guys. I promise. Oh wow! Oh wow! You're like someone's video. <laughs> You're like a <laughs> S post video editor for some of these guys out there now. Pretty cool. What? Hey, what did yeah. you think about what the CVTA was doing? They're trying to get these uh, these uh, puppy mills or these CDL mills out of the game it sounds like a lot of whack-a-mole but they're getting the process in place and that they have the they have the uh, legislative backing to do so yeah no i i absolutely applaud their mission and i wish them all the best i would also um love to see what schneider is up to with their uh, simulators i was on the simulators back when i went through training in 2007 so they were they're pretty like rudimentary back then i would love to see what they're like now yeah we've uh, they've i'm sure they've advanced quite a bit he seemed to uh, be talking about and they've got that charging depot there. But here's something that might discourage you from joining the market. Take a look at this tweet from Craig Fuller. He says, September has been a disappointment for the freight market. We saw a nice bounce in July and August and expected the rally to continue through the end of the quarter. Unfortunately, the opposite is happening. About a month ago, Justin, we were looking at this stuff and we're like, you know what? It looks like, could it be? Maybe it is. We're getting some uplift. It is coming into peak season, but it's hard to find footing when you can't find a floor. 
I know. I mean, look at that. Look at that raise right there at the end of August. Like we we were riding that um, and hoping for the best, but it's looking like it's uh, what they call a dead cat bounce. Um, the more shippers that we've been talking to, it sounds like uh, peak season is looking pretty pretty dead. Um, so that's going to impact rates. We're still seeing capacity leave the market, which is great. I think that would help uh, with rates a little bit. We're just not seeing it yet. Yeah, I mean, you saw about a forty cent, forty fifty cent run up during uh, during the month, but you know, by the eleventh of September, it had all just started to bleed right back out. We're kind of right back where we started. Thomas Watson says the fall outbound tender rejection rally is now stalling at four percent as reefer and flatbed rejection rates decline. They're weighing down the index. Van, van rejection rates are now a very low, three point six eight. Carriers are continuing to prioritize contract freight in this environment because obviously there's still that pretty deep spread. Between between contract and spot. In fact, when you're looking at spot rate, you're looking at about 228, and it's really been at that sort of dead level since April. And we were talking about, when we look at at a year ago, Justin, we're at about 228 now. We're about 70 cents higher about a year ago in spot rates. Yeah, yeah. If you it, The longer you hold on, the better it's going to be. It's just making it through is just a real struggle right now. Yeah, Huntsman says uh, import demand is slowing. UAW, etc. You know the drill. Matt Silver, I think we're in for a pretty dampened Q4 and peak season. Not sure how often we'll hear the word peak over the next few months. People will be fighting for spot freight. Guess the PNW still <laughs> feel it was Christmas trees, but uh, that's about it. Ranger says, wonder what this says about the holiday season. Not a great sign, as my guess is. Matt Silver said above him, yeah, I, I would not think so. Econ Go says, our July was better than a very tepid June, and August was still better. But when you dig down into the details, a lot of it was campaign work that built us out. The underlying trend was very weak. We're calling a 5% decline in Q4. And since we're rather isolated from the broader trucking, that'll be about 10 to 20% for others. That could be pretty bad. Yeah, yeah you really got to put in the work uh, to stay afloat this time of year. And logistics expert, he says, just follow along with the economy. The amount of money being withdrawn from the economy, staggering high interest rates, end of college loan forgiveness. That's another one on deck here. End of QE, end of stimulus. No way the economy doesn't contract at some point. And that's what we've been saying all along. There's so much money. There's trillions of dollars just poured into this thing through forgivable PPP loans, through the thousands, a few thousand dollars each one of us was given. Um, I think most people didn't save that with some of the rhetoric around pandemic saving. Everyone just went out on Amazon and they were revenge spent and they bought a bunch of crap. And we benefited from it at the time, but a lot of truckers entered the industry and, you know, it's bleeding out, but it's, it's taken forever. No such thing as a free lunch. This guy, Jay Din said, to be honest, your industry stole plenty of money over the past few years. He's, he's got to be talking yeah. about steamship lines. That can't be, that can't be trucking. <laughs> Yeah, and I believe it. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was that one. Yeah, Craig uh, quote tweeted him asking, you know, hey, truckers, what, what do you guys think about this? A lot of it is just people not really understanding how the market works. You know, when you have that many people competing for the same work, it's going to bring the, the, the money you're earning out of it down. Yeah, sonar, sonar. People think it's the opposite. Sonar doesn't set the rate. Sonar shows you all that data after <laughs> yeah, it's already yeah. happened, and then we can see the rate and we can see the market. That doesn't actually. This is you guys out there. This is us, the consumers, buying stuff. This is you, the truck drivers, moving stuff. That's how your market yeah. operates. And unfortunately, there's nothing there 
to prop it up. In fact, the steamship lines, what they've been doing is, because there's only nine of them, so they can control their capacity a lot better than trucking can, but they overbuilt so much during the pandemic. So many steamship lines came online. They're doing what the Jaguars have to do with a football game. Sorry, not sorry, Blythe. They have to tarp the seats because they can't <laughs> sell enough tickets, or they have to park the boats or park the slots because they can't get enough in there. The, those methods only work for a little while, though, because you're artificially doing it. And all those expenses for owning those ships still exist. Yeah, and it's a great uh, dichotomy between uh, the ship lines versus trucking. Trucking is a much more fractionated market, so there's so many more businesses trying to keep everything running. Whereas the steam steamship lines, like you said, they can they can park and try and drive up the rates artificially. Good luck, guys. Yeah, you park. You don't have a giant oligarch uh, corporation above your head. You most of you park. You're going out of business if you do it for long. We hear from drivers yeah. all the time. Some of them have tried. They're like, you know, your emotions <laughs> get the better of you. You're like, screw this market. I'm just not going to go anywhere. But then it's. The bills keep coming. The, the 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 need for parts and tires and everything still keeps coming. Yeah, and every time there's been a drive to try and park the trucks to drive rates up, as soon as rates tick up, all the guys are like, "Hey, let's get back on the road." And it's like, "No, no, no, keep keep staying." You know, we're we're going to drive the rates up even higher. But people see those numbers and they got bills to pay, so that's why they get rolling again. So, Justin, we both know a lot of money being poured into autonomy, be it moving people around or moving freight around. In freight, they have some closed corridors or in some loops that they're doing, especially in the southwest, because regulations allow it. Well, not that far southwest, though. California is putting mm-hmm. a lot in place that won't allow it at all. But in California, they do allow cruise taxis. And in San Francisco, they finally sort of got approval to charge for rides to ride around. They immediately crashed into, I think it was a fire truck. <laughs> uh, there's an issue there with people putting cones on them. There was another guy attacking one with a, a hammer. Um, well, they just deployed them in, uh, I think it was right at the end of August in Austin. And here's how it's going for crews in Austin. Let's take a look. These self-driving cars caused a massive traffic jam in Austin, Texas. What a mess. First of all, for you audio listeners, what we're looking at is there's a like half a dozen, maybe a dozen cruise vehicles here. There's, there's a, they're coming from all different directions too, but they've all stopped. And I think it's because there's maybe even more crews than regular drivers. They don't know what to do. Like they don't have the logic to unbundle this situation. Yeah, it looks like more than more than a dozen. I would say. I wonder if it was like a block party and people were trying to get home, so they just all started hailing rides at once, and all the all the cars just showed up at one spot. Oh, yeah. Well, and like the geolocation on the app, it wouldn't necessarily know like who is who, especially if you're all right. I heard that is by a uh, campus in Austin. My San Antonio reports crews, self-driving vehicles seem to be taking over the streets in Austin, but not in the way you might be thinking. Over the weekend, videos popped up on TikTok showing this incident. We They, they just showed you. Cruz said in an emailed statement that it was aware of this incident, but it didn't say what caused the vehicles to stop. So it's mm. just causing more speculation. The statement said, Cruz continuously monitors its fleet, and we were alerted to the crowding event on Sunday morning. We were able to address in all vehicles to part of the area autonomously we apologize for any inconvenience these growing pains are going to happen but this is on a public road yeah and it, it is very interesting that they said they were able to leave autonomously they didn't have to send drivers out there to rescue the cars so would have loved to have seen how that worked patrick mutabazi he says problem is the algorithms are designed to program the robo taxis to stop whenever there is a confusing traffic situation the result is a traffic jam it would help if the algorithms consider certain unfamiliar traffic conditions and roman uh, Popoff, he said something similar. He said, unsurprisingly, considering that the algorithms are designed to stop the car whenever there's confusion, the result is a traffic jam that they don't know how to undevelop, or at least without some sort of intervention from the mothership. 
Yeah, we have way better algorithms in our brains as far as like social cues than the cars do. So, you know, if you got two cars that are stuck with people driving them, you know, I can make eye contact with you, a couple of hand gestures, and we've got it figured out. Car, the autonomous cars, on the other hand, they're just designed to just stop. Do they need a hologram in them that can like flip each other off or like wave, <laughs> come on, or, or, you know, give truck drivers or, the pull? Like even make it invisible. Just have some packaging going back and forth and saying, hey, how do we get out of here? There, Cruz's vice president of global government affairs once said, our cars do not get distracted. They do not drive drunk and they follow the same speed limits or whatever the restrictions are on the road. I, I guess except not when there's these uh, edge cases of a traffic jam. Yeah, they don't get distracted, but they seem to get uh, stuck a lot. Jeffrey Deku, he says, trying to deploy autonomous systems without intelligent infrastructure is like trying to build the internet without networks. Time to get street smart and address the fundamental challenges of mobility, optimization, orchestration, reducing emission, and addressing vision zero. It's interesting because he's from the Autonomy Institute, and a lot of these autonomy guys, like, they're not all unified on, st- on this stuff, and they hate when incidents like this happen because it can set back everybody else. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're in this space and you're trying to, you know, advance your product or whatever, something like this could like set back your, your investment by, you know, a decade or more. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, no one got injured in this and it was just an annoyance. And it seems like they were I mean, they're running these things every day. If there was only sort of one incident like this, you know, if there were more TikToks, we'd be showing them. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad they're not running in Chattanooga yet. Would you want these things in Philly? Yet? I, my, my, the jury's still a little bit out with me. Philly's a small city. I am at, it's, it's also a pretty easy one to navigate. It's all grid. Um, you know, a great use case for this would be like, say, when an Eagles game ends and everyone's trying to get a ride home. Um, but again, trying to corral them all into one spot is, is difficult because now you have live people trying to leave the game as well. And then the autonomous tra- taxis trying to come in. That's, that's going to be a huge challenge. Oh, that is a good nightmare. Uh, place to stage would be. And not even just like the, the lot, the, the pop up lots that come up. You know, like, I guess you wouldn't need one of those if you had a cruise, but you you know, the general idea I'm talking about is like those, those pop-up lots and everything where some of the lines are just kind of completely made up by drivers. Yeah. And, and Philly is a really good example because their stadiums are just South of the city itself. They're not downtown. So, um, I guess if any autonomous vehicle companies want to give Philly a try, you know, hit up the mayor, see what, see what he has to say. What do you think about Dollar General? Dollar General, I touched on this a little bit with Rachel, but Dollar General, in their earnings call, they had some interesting things to say. One of them was that they plan to grow their private fleet from 1,800 to 2,000 tractors, going to add 200 trucks. And they said this, we save approximately 20% of associated costs every time we replace a third-party tractor with one from their own private fleet. Make sense? Yeah, there's this great uh, Midwestern meme account that I follow that has a great spot, or a great post about this. Like, anytime there's like a two acre lot in the middle of nowhere, there's a Dollar General within a week. Yeah, yeah, no, and they go to a lot of l- rural locations. So, it, it, and with that many trucks, I mean, it would make sense to uh, control their network. Wasson says folks sleep on Dollar General expanding their dedicated fleet. This comes right as large trucking companies try to. Uh, explain their dedicated offerings to customers like Dollar General. Good point. There's companies that are trying to offer this same dedicated to Dollar, Dollar General. We've seen when a lot of these companies get big, they have partners like New England Motor Freight was one. They had a big partnership with Amazon. Amazon replaced their need for those those trucks, right, with their own trucks and with other carriers, and it completely destroyed the company. And this can happen to other companies as they start building these dedicated fleets out. Yeah, I think Dollar General's taking a page out of Amazon's book where they'll let someone do something for them for a little while, monitor how they do it, and then ask themselves, can we do the same thing but more efficiently or cheaper? And looks like they can. 
Not guilty, Larry said, on a $1,000 load, that's 200 so it's probably correct on the savings, as most of their freight is out of strategically placed DC's uh, two to 400-mile loads, and you can count driver unloading paint stops and other costs outside carrier charges, plus 5 to 10% for broker costs. So they're already handling all this stuff on their own, may as well just get their own trucks. Is, uh, seems like that's a lot of people's opinion here. Yeah, I'm curious how their driver trading will will go with this too, because um, some of these dollar not not just Dollar General, but just dollar stores in in general, um, they're in some really tough spots. I mean, you're you're taking a 53 foot long trailer into places that um, really aren't designed for it, but they got to get the, the freight in there somehow. Yeah, when I'm doing my rounds looking for trucking accidents, it's not rare to see a dollar store truck on some road. It probably shouldn't be and not just dollar general just in general i think as a location they got to bring trucks in there and some of them are just in some snaky windy areas that you don't want to bring a truck into well maybe you don't maybe i know you're a little bit passionate about this attack of the ninety thousand pound semi so there's a bill in place to allow the maximum weight take a look at this headline throw that up there there's a bill in place to um change the weight of the trucks ketv reports douglas county sheriff Aaron Hansen and Nebraska Teamsters visited Washington, D.C. last week to to persuade lawmakers to vote no on a trucking industry bill that would allow semis to carry more weight up to 91,000 pounds. Not everybody's happy about it. They say it's uh, just to drive money. There's nothing safety involved here. Yeah, and... Funny that the Teamsters are the ones protesting it, not like driver other driver groups. Because um, when you think Nebraska, you don't typically think uh, Teamsters. But yeah, with, with less freight per truck, that's going to mean more trucks on the road, meaning more Teamsters hopefully hauling those trucks. Beetle Bailey says, in fact, I think these trucks should be carrying, should not be carrying more than 60 to 70,000 pounds total gross weight. This would be a more realistic plan to lower the weight. Everybody wants to lower the speeds to limit the speeds, lower the weight as well. Lower the weights to help the truck stopping power. It's just, uh, it's just simple physics. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, America's infrastructure has always been kind of a laughing stock for like the last 15 years. What, they, what kind of bridges, bridges are they going to be sending these trucks over? Yeah, I mean, that's what Roadster 70 said. Is this 90,000 pounds total? That's only an increase of 10,000 pounds from the current limit. Is the infrastructure even set up for this move? No, I crossed a bridge on I-55 in Mississippi that was only rated for 30 tons while being fully loaded to the legal limit of 40 tons. So putting drivers in danger, too. They're being on roads they shouldn't be on. Yeah, yeah. Um, What was it? I-65 north of Louisville was like under construction for forever. I wonder if they ever finished that. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, you are able with extra axles you're able to run with the, the this heavier weight. So that's the per axle weight, but then you got the extra gr- uh, gross vehicle weight on that, too. So you can have bridges that might may be able to take extra gross vehicle weight. Um, you know, a, a lot of like the rural roads out there, the agricultural trucks, you know, they, they could be hauling like up to 150,000 pounds. There's, there's bridges out there that aren't designed for that at all. No. Well, hey, you used to be with USPS. Is this a bad economic sign? No peak season surcharges from USPS. Aaron Rubin, he says, good news for e-commerce in this environment. No peak season surcharges. Wow. What do you think? I think if you're a shipper, this is great news because you're going to be reaping the savings on your shipping. Um, but there's also a sign that you know USPS already has all the workers that they need. Um, typically, they start hiring around August for uh, uh, the 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 Christmas workers, because you got to get them trained and up to speed. Um, but I, I read an article yesterday that um, they've already hit, hit their 150,000 extra workers that they had to hire as part of this new contract. So 10,000 seasonal workers is, is basically nothing. Yeah, Mark Solomon, he said, uh, part of the reason the agency can avoid surcharges is that its peak costs will not be as high as in years past. For example, it plans to hire only 10,000 
Seasonal employees, that's the lowest number in years. But in 2020, the Postal Service nearly tripled its daily processing capacity. So maybe they've made some efficiency moves. You guys out there are going to have to make some efficiency moves, especially if you're not protected by a fuel surcharge. John Kingston reports on Monday, the Department of Energy Information Administration average weekly retail price increased 9.3 cents a gallon. It's now at $4.63, the highest it's been since December 12th, Justin. Yeah, and the Biden administration is trying everything they can. I, I heard they're going to try and drain the uh, strategic petroleum reserve again. So we'll see. What can the drivers do? Let's take a look at, at this tweet right here. We got a little advice. He's telling you to go slower. He said slow down to a cruise speed of 60 miles per hour. And he's, uh, you know, reaping the benefits. 30-day average got up to 866. Yeah, it's interesting when, when guys brag about their, their fuel economy, how they get dunked on almost immediately. Anyone can do this. Anyone can do it. Just set your cruise control. Hellbeth Hagen did the same thing. He was getting 11 miles per gallon on 990 miles. Pretty awesome stuff. Hey, Super Trucker, yeah. take care. Look him up on X or Twitter at Super Truck. Look us up at FW. What the Truck, like I said, no show Friday, but there will be one tomorrow. We'll start the, the event starts at 9 a.m. One Truck will be on at 11.30 a.m. Go to live.freightways.com for details. Uh, take care and don't be a stranger. Bye, Leatherface.